You guys mentioned before we started this recording that just yesterday, before the recording, you guys celebrated your 15th wedding anniversary. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, 15 years in, did you have some hiccups, some rough spots early on? <laughs> <laughs> I think I hit a nerve. Did, did we have some hiccups? Yeah, we had some hiccups. From the Family Life Podcast Network, this is Family Life Blended. I'm Ron Deal. This donor-supported podcast brings together timeless wisdom and practical help and hope to blended families and those who love them. Well, the reviews of my book with Dr. Gary Chapman entitled Building Love Together in Blended Families are coming in. Laura gave the book five stars and writes this. I received my book today and have not been able to put it down. Like every other book by Dr. Chapman and Ron, the book is incredibly insightful regarding the inner workings of marriage and blended families. This book, she writes, is an absolute must-read if you are part of a blended family. Well, thanks, Laura. We appreciate those positive words very much. You can get your copy wherever books are sold, but you can only get the one-day live stream event that we did based on this book through Family Life. The event was called Blended and Blessed. It was this past April 2020. Just go to our online store and look for the Blended and Blessed all-access digital pass. Go to familylife.com. Hey, before I jump into my conversation with Steve and Misty Arterburn, let me encourage you to attend our annual ministry equipping event. It's called the Summit on Stepfamily Ministry. It's going to be October 1st and 2nd, 2020. You may not think of yourself as a leader or somebody who can influence other people, but let me tell you, your marriage can be on mission. You'd be surprised what you can learn and how you can help others. This event is an equipping event for ministry leaders, pastors, lay couples, and professionals who want to know more about step families and how they can minister to couples in their church and community. I hope you'll join me. Again, that's October 1st and 2nd, 2020. Go to summitonstepfamilies.com. If you had your pick, what term would you use for the step-parent in your family? I mean, you know, some people are perfectly fine with the word step-parent, but others prefer bonus parent or smom if you're a stepmom. And does the label really matter, or is it how you conduct yourself that really matters? We'll get into all of that and more on today's Family Life Blended. Steve and Misty Arterburn are my guests. They've been married since 2005. He brought one child to the marriage. She brought two, and together they had two more. Steve is the founder of New Life Ministries, a best-selling author, a popular speaker, and radio host of the New Life Live radio program, Misty, his wife, is a life recovery facilitator and co-author of several books. Here's my conversation with best-selling authors Steve and Misty Arterburn. Well, Steve and Misty, you guys have been involved in ministry for years in various ways, fashions, conference events, local church ministry. You're involved in that very much now as in this season of your life. Uh, you're, you've been involved in helping leaders, training leaders, working with people who are in recovery, all kinds of ministry opportunities. I'm wondering, how often does the need for step family education or ministry just show up 
in those conversations? Often it does, Ron, because people know that we have a blended family. And of course, you know, you, you have such a great ministry of blended and blessed. We've found most people are living offended and stressed. And so they're, they're looking for somebody that's, that's been through it and loves being in a blended family. And both of us have made major mistakes in our lives. But one of the things that we were both so committed to was to not make our marriage a um, hostage situation or a hostile takeover where the kids feel like, you know, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to us. And we're really, it took a lot of work and intentionality, you could say, and our partnership. But we're really reaping the results of that and we're grateful. But honey, wouldn't you say that just people, they want answers for these horrific problems that are coming up. Yeah. And Ron, it's a really good point that whatever kind of type of ministry that we're involved in, somebody's affected by blended families and some, you know, whether it's the family of origin or maybe they're in a blended family now. I do think that always the ears perk up when there are ideas and solutions offered for how to do that successfully. Yeah, of course. There are step families and step family relationships everywhere. And so people, <laughs> no matter where we are in life and in ministry, it's going to come up when we actually sit down and listen to people. I find in my ministry circles that other people often don't bring up the need for blended family ministry. I think just because for them, if it's not their life, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Yes. But I do know that you guys have amazing opportunity to bring that to the forefront of people's minds. And I just want to tell you, as somebody who's deeply committed to blended family ministry, thank you for for walking and being transparent and using your own life and journey and struggles to help lighten the way for others. Well, and Ron, you know, you uh, have never been through divorce. You aren't in a blended family. For you to take up this cause is really so powerful. Right before this program, I was uh, doing an interview for another program, and they were getting some tweets and interaction there. And when I mentioned uh, that I was in a blended family and that uh, both of us had been married before and we felt like, based on biblical principles, we were free to marry each other, someone texted in, you know, you have been divorced. And so uh, rather than talking about these things, you should be experiencing nothing but condemnation mm. from other Christians. Wow. And so the host read that to me and says, what do you think about that? And I said, well, I, I feel like that the person that wrote that must have been deeply wounded and probably has developed some kind of rigid rule-based religion because that doesn't really uh, reflect the words of Jesus, his teaching very clear about that. But also, uh, the Bible says that God is rich in mercy. Mm. And I didn't find his comments to be rich Mm. in mercy. And, And I read that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And so, if someone looks at a situation 
and it's easy for them to judge it. You, you really should ask yourself, what is it within me that would lead me to do that versus try to understand it? And one of the things that Misty has done so well with other people and with me is trying to get to what's beneath whatever it is that's on the surface. You know, there's, there's more to this. And she is just really good at knowing there's more to it and trying to get to the bottom of all of that. And we've worked really hard, not on each other, but separately with our Christian counselors and other people that specialized in different types of counseling, whether it's trauma, whatever, to get beneath our own things and try to clean that up down there so that we can be connected in healthy relationship for each other and to honor God and and for our kids. They need that. And Ron, I really was puzzled when I first met you and we first did our interview uh, there at Family Life. And I didn't know that you hadn't gone through this. And I was really puzzled when I found out uh, why you would care, why this would matter to you. And maybe that's a representation of how I sort of expect the church to respond. I don't know what was in there, but I just, it was so touching to me that you would commit your effort and your mission to those of us that are going through this. It was very powerful and just was, was a really nice ministry to me personally in my own, my own little heart mm-hmm. there. So mm-hmm. thanks for what you Well, did. I appreciate yeah. that. And from time to time, people ask me, you know, so why are you doing this? And it's because I believe in the power of love and the power of family. And I believe that God uses relationships, all relationships, whether it be friendships or an intimate marriage relationship or children, parent-child, whatever that might be. He uses all of those things as his, I think, primary tools of discipleship for who we are. And, and that's true no matter what kind of family you live in. So I just am passionate that all families should be healthy because healthy yes. people in families and healthy family environments creates a climate where we really can come to know our Heavenly Father and our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we can walk with each other. So at the end of the day, that's that's the journey for me. And I get a little stuck, as Steve did, when you get a caller, somebody who sends in a message that says, hmm, you should be experiencing condemnation. I, I'm perfect. I don't need any condemnation in my life. You know, that's almost what's implied is, yeah, yeah. okay, so the church is a hospital for sick people, and you're among them, but your sickness is a little different than my sickness, but your sickness is much worse than mine. You know, worse, I mean, it, yeah. <laughs> it seems to be what gets implied in all of that. Micah 6.8 jumped in my head, Steve, as you were talking, what does the Lord require of you but act justly? Love mercy. Not just be merciful. Love mercy. You know, and you said God is a God of mercy. He is rich in mercy. And we, as his children, are called to love being merciful to people rather than judgmental and condemning. So amen to all of that. And again, thank you for being here. You guys mentioned before we started this recording that just yesterday before the recording, you guys celebrated your 15th wedding anniversary. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we yes. did. We we had yeah. we've just been we've kind of been celebrating uh, progressive celebration, uh. but <laughs> yesterday. But I'll tell you, it just sort of snuck up. You know, I wasn't really thinking of it as a milestone. I knew, you know, it, it's fifteen is a nice round anniversary number, but 
But then when we got here, I really feel the impact of having accomplished 15 years together and raising our children together. And we still have two at home. So we're still doing it. But it's just, I have a ton of nostalgia for it. I have some bigger picture with it. You know, I'm not so in the weeds as we were for several years. You know, I can see the grander scale of it. And I'm just totally soaking in gratitude right now. Well, and me too. And that's a good message for our listener who's in the weeds going, oh, I can't see the forest at all. I'm just sinking in the midst of all of the stuff we got to deal with day in and day out. But what a joy that you get to a place where you can kind of sit back and look and go, yeah, well, the rewards are here. And look, we've made it 15 years. And that, that's that yeah. got to be a great feeling. I want to go back to where it all started. <laughs> Steve, you have some <laughs> friends, John Townsend and Henry Cloud. You work with them. They're, they're buddies of yours. And back when yeah. you were a single dad and starting to date, they gave you a task. <laughs> well, they did. Um, they knew that I had been in a very, very difficult situation and they were well aware of all the things that had gone on. And so I remember Henry Cloud saying to me, you know, when you come out of a situation like that, when you do start to date, which shouldn't be soon, you know, you you might be tempted to marry the first woman that's just nice to you. And, and so he suggested, and John forced me also to agree <laughs> that I would at least date 20 people before I would settle on the person that I was going to marry. And what did you think when you first heard that? I thought it'd be impossible, you know, and but there were two things that it did. Number one, it eliminated what they were talking about. Uh, secondly, that takes time and time is required for healing. Uh, and so it kind of built in some time that would take place before I would get serious again. Then now, once we got married, having gone through that, and I have to tell you, some of the 20 would be standing next to someone in Starbucks line saying, me say, hey, how you doing? <laughs> okay, I'm going to count that one. You met the we letter of the law, than, right? Yeah, we <laughs> talked more in five minutes. But, but then, you know, once we were married, all doubt had been eliminated. I, I hadn't rushed into it. I had talked to other people, gotten to know folks, and and I had never thought that there was someone out there that would have made a better partner. Or As we've talked about the past few days, I really believe God brought us together. We see some miraculous things that happen that make me believe this this, unlike what the, the guy did on the previous program, <laughs> this was meant to be. And it's just like, you know, when I adopted Madeline, when she filled out her essay for college, she said, I was adopted at birth, but it seems like it was meant to be from, from the beginning of time. And that's mm -hmm. the way I felt mm -hmm. like this. God didn't want divorce, hates divorce. But in God's world, we make mistakes and then Whatever happens, when we come back to him, when we commit to him, he just says, you know, I can work with that. And things that weren't part of God's perfect will, as we humble and submit to him, it is as if they were always meant to be. He is rich in mercy, right? He is. He, yeah. he often brings more grace than we can 
imagine given our circumstances. All right, so let's just talk around this 20 people dating rule thing. I'm hearing it's adding some discipline to the dating process. And maybe we, let's talk about that a little bit. I'm also hearing that it forces time on you. In other words, you can't be quick and make quick decisions, right. which I agree time is your friend when it comes to making a really big decision like another marriage. And yet on the ground, kind of the user experience of that must have been weird and confusing and misty. Were you aware <laughs> that he had to date all these women? Which number were you? Do you? Yeah, right. I did not know I was part of a lineup at first. So, And when I discovered this mission, I was not entirely thrilled about it either because pretty quickly Steve and I made a connection and I knew that this was something he needed to do. I had been dating. I had, I was a single mom for uh, about a year and a half and uh, before I met Steve. So I had dated and yeah, it, I thought it was probably exactly what it needed to do. But what I chose to do was not be a part of it. So I just thought, well, you just go do what you've got to do. And I probably we took about two different one month kind of breaks just because I couldn't handle that. You know, so that was me putting a boundary on, and doing something healthy for me and just knowing that it would work out in some form or other. Yeah. And, and to me, what I'm hearing in this is there was discipline on, on both sides. It kind of forced a discipline. I don't want our listener to think, oh, I got to date 20 people or I should have dated back you know, <laughs> before we got. No, I think the point here is take your time. Be careful. Yeah. Be cautious and, you know, have a process to dating. Don't just rush in. Well, and how many people do we know she was married to an alcoholic a year later after he's left her for someone else, she's married to another alcoholic. It, we're comfortable with these big problems and, and many times they come into play. So you have to take this as a, a major adjustment in your life. And that time varies for a lot of people, but I, I'll guarantee you, you would be hard-pressed to find anybody that had wisdom saying that after a person has been divorced, they ought to get married the next year. Mm. <laughs> That's just, you know, and boy, we hear it all the time. You know, this is the exception. God's really, God brought us together, all that stuff. Okay, great. Well, if God brought you together, then he can keep you together mm. while you you set an example to other single folks that you don't have to get married nine months after your divorce was filed. And your children. Set an example for your children. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Right. I do think it took some of the emotionality out of it, too. You know, it's just easy to, like you said, the first person that's nice to you, you think, oh, this is God's will. And But, you know, there are a lot of different ways to interact with people, and it just kind of gets you talking again, not so desperate not thinking that there's this scarcity that I might not ever meet anybody else. It just starts moving into the abundance of people in the world and God's abundance and his provision. And, and I just think it's a kind of a slow down. It sounds like a speed up. Oh, does date 20 people kind of thing, you know, but, but I really think it creates the opposite effect because it is very intentional it was a good thing. And, you know, when it comes to the blended family aspect, think about this, too. I mean, we were slow before our kids got involved and stuff. But if you walk out of a marriage and walk right into 
another committed relationship. Your kids, I mean, they haven't even dealt with the fact that there's loss and divorce and mom and dad don't live together. And now you're expecting them to come along and accept this new reality. So the, again, the the slower that you can go for their sake, you're really going to lay some great groundwork for a future that the kids can enjoy. And you should never introduce that other person early in the relationship. And you must not marry that person if they're not great with these kids. I mean, you know, some people make the case, Ron, if you are free to marry again, wait till they're in college before you do that. Well, I can understand that. That might be necessary, especially when you find that you got a great person, but man, they are horrible at parenting and you are going to literally, literally destroy your relationship with your kids because you've chosen someone that is not good for them. I think far too many people have, if you we want to call it stop signs or red lights, yellow lights and green lights, they only have red lights as it relates to the person as a dating partner slash spouse. But you should also have red lights as it relates to them as a parent figure to your kids. How do they parent their kids? Because if they're a poor parent to their kids, you're marrying those problems as a result of their poor parenting. And to your point, when I finally came out to Indiana and saw Misty and this, she had purchased this house and, and there were her little boys. And by the age of six, they'd already read through Chronicles of Narnia <laughs> the adventure Bible. I saw the kind of mother she was. It it just blew me away. And it wasn't everything, of course, but it was huge to see that. And if somebody doesn't see that, you really, really need to stop and get some help. Join a support group, something, so you don't rush into something that really it doesn't just it isn't going to destroy you alone it's going to destroy those kids too you know something i really appreciate about you guys i've heard you both talk about how through the years back when you were still single and even now i mean you surround yourself with people counselors folks that speak into your life and misty i've heard you talk about you went through some really dark days as a single mom and really hard transition there and yet you had people around you and spoke into your life since you guys have been together, you've had people speaking in your life. What, what's the value in that? What are you chasing by surrounding yourselves? I just think a shared journey and my little mind can get me into trouble on its own. <laughs> and so I try to be a learner. I just always want the posture of being a learner, knowing I have something to give and I always have something I can learn some way that I can grow. And what a trip to be able to support others and be supported. It's just such a better experience. I had, I was in a small group when I was a single mom and the men in the group and the the couples would come and like change the oil in my car or something, Mm -hmm. you know, like just and one of the dads would take my little boys. I had asked him, would he consider just being kind of a mentor, a male mentor? And so he'd take my boys out into the woods and chop wood or like they'd go, I don't know, they just did 
fun things together. Go, go out in nature and just talk. Just be a guy, a healthy guy in the lives of my two little boys so that they didn't get just all this over-mothering. I was trying to balance out my son's experiences, and that was such a gift to me. And I just really, really appreciated that. Really made a difference for me. We both did that. That was another thing. It was something that we both brought people into the lives of our children uh, of the opposite sex. And when Madeline was 16, uh, Misty was part of a dinner of the six women. I wasn't there. It was all women who had come around her and been to her what a, a nurturing mom would be and they all shared their best memory and what they loved about her strengths and things and so that was another thing that we had in common that neither of us were thinking well you know we got what it takes and we had brought not only helping people into our lives but we wanted to bring strong faithful people into the lives of our kids and that's ultimately what you guys like to call bonus parenting, as opposed yeah. to step parenting. Before we turn the corner and talk about that and unpack that a little bit, 15 years in, did you have some hiccups, some rough spots early on? <laughs> <laughs> I think I hit a nerve. <laughs> did we have some hiccups? Yeah, we had some hiccups. We, yeah. <laughs> we did. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you go in with the best hope. No one goes in, you know, anticipate. We knew it'd be hard. We could never have totally understood how hard it would be. And so that is another great reason why we are, we are surrounded with people to help hold this thing together. And we were absolutely committed to each other. But yeah, the first year especially, you know, is yeah. such a transition for everybody. It's for the the new marriage. It's for these children that are blending and they're traveling back and forth. And maybe, you know, typically you start living together in some way. And it was, it was complicated. Different parenting styles. Yes. All of the things that we know in blended families, we sure went through it. Merging routines, daily traditions, trying to figure out how to get this done and that done. And, um, and only, you know, when the moment comes for the first time that you have to try to set a boundary and say no to somebody else's kid, you know, it's kind of like you, that's when you realize, oh, well, maybe they're not used to that or it would have been handled in a different way. And so what role do I have? So this whole thing of being a bonus parent, I think is a wonderful image. And there's definitely some contrast between healthy ways of going about being a bonus parent versus unhealthy ways of step parenting that work against you. I want to flush some of those out. But before we do, Steve, I remember you, you said something to her kids when you came in to their life. You basically let them know you weren't going to try to be their dad. Right. I said to them, um, you have a father and he is a good dad to you. And I'm, I don't want to replace him and I don't want to compete with him. And I also don't want to be a stepdad. It sounds like, you know, you're going to step on me or over me, <laughs> but I want to be a bonus to your life. I want to be something that you weren't counting on and that it turns out to be better than you ever thought it could be. And that's the path I'm going to take. And so 
I came into our marriage more with a an attitude of benevolent uncle to those kids. And uh, we agreed that each of us would be the primary disciplinarian of our own children. We weren't going to step in. And, you know, I had heard all of the nightmares, uh, especially from women. This man came in and demanded respect, started to discipline my children, and they hate him. So I had all of those things going for me, knowing that that's just the worst experience for a child. So I, I came in to earn their respect and let them know that I cared about them and what they were going through. And I didn't expect them to care anything about me. I was a stranger to them. And I'll tell you, um, one day when Carter was at college and he had a a big dilemma. Hey, before you continue the story, let me just set the scene. So Carter was seven, six when you came into his life? Uh, it's about six. Well, when we got married, he was six. So he would have been younger, yeah. four when we okay, were dating. Okay, so fast forward. He's four in college five. now. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> and one day he called me up and he had to have some advice. And he's and I'm just sitting there shaking my head. You know, it just kind of all came together. This is what we had hoped for. This is what we had been working for that we could have a relationship far beyond anything like that. And I got to tell you, when we're together, there's so much expression of love and respect. Well, here's a sign is that they miss him. You know, they'll, they'll say that they're missing yeah. him. Yeah. You know, it's, to me, it's, it just gets me. It's just too good to be true almost. And, and I, I tell people all the time, you know, when you marry someone with children, you might have the attitude of, oh, well, you know, yeah, I, I love them, and yeah, I got to have these kids with me too. But if you'll do it in a different way than that, then the other person's kids become these amazing blessings. And they are such a blessing to me and have added so much to my life. that That's what I want for other people. But you don't do that by coming in and you're more of the little baby child demanding things from a five or a six-year-old, you come in, you be the adult, and you realize where they are. The other day on our radio program, Ron, uh, a woman was telling the story of her son. And when his eight-year-old boy decided to live with the mother rather than him, he never wanted anything to do with his own child again. And I, <laughs> I wow. said to her, mm. you're I'm sorry, your son, it was not a great moment of radio, your son's just a big baby. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, <laughs> to put that on an eight-year-old. Anytime uh, you're expecting yeah. something of a child that you haven't raised, that doesn't know you, you really need to question the level of maturity in your life. It's clearly, Steve, you saying that to them, put your heart in the right place. You were setting your expectations low in the sense that you were saying, I'm going to be an adult to you and you don't have to take care of me. Misty, I'm curious, from, from your mom heart point of view, what did it do for you that Steve communicated that to your boys? It was everything. He was being a respectable man, someone that they could, you know, it's a process, right? We can't just instantly attached to somebody. <laughs> it's like he was inviting relationship and he was showing up to be there, to know them, to hear them, to play. 
be in the moment with whatever kind of was needed at the time. And he was such a gentleman with them. It's almost like if you think about, you know, scaring a, like a cat, you know, or something. I just think, <laughs> you know, these kids recoil and, and they're trying to figure out what has happened in their world. They, they're they at different developmental stages. They have these different households and, you know, a little eye contact, getting down on their level, a little bit of listening. It feels good to be known and to be drawn out. I know God pursues me pretty gently. He's pretty patient with me. He's pretty understanding and loving. And yes, he has limits, but it's for all for the sake of love. And so tone matters, how we engage the, to the things we say, but how we say it. I mean, he was just a champ and they responded. Well, we've already started talking about one contrast between a healthy bonus parent and an unhealthy step-parent. Unhealthy step-parent demands respect, you guys say, and a bonus parent says, I'm going to earn your respect. We've already been talking around that a little bit, but let's press in a little more on the word demand and the word earn. I can imagine somebody listening to us right now going, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, <laughs> stepmom or stepdad, I have to earn respect? What do you mean? I'm the adult. I'm paying. I'm feeding. I'm doing laundry. I'm picking up, dropping off. What do you mean I have to earn respect? Well, if you're going to earn respect, then you have to be in the world of the people that you want to respect you. And my daughter, so much of her life, she had many struggles in school, but so much of her life was played out on a soccer field. And so when Misty came along, there are a lot of things that Misty could have done on a Saturday morning, but Misty was there, not just there at the soccer stadium. She was running up and down the field yelling at her. She entered her world. So you could say, well, they need to respect me, but earning respect is respecting their loves, their interests, and adjusting to it. Misty's favorite sport was a volleyball, not soccer. And yet she became a soccer fan because that was the world of my daughter. So what that says is, an unspoken message is, I'm coming into your world to understand you and to be with you. And then the child sees that and then they're drawn to come into the world of this other person and be curious. If you can develop curiosity uh, from those kids, that is a huge accomplishment where they want to know what was your mom and dad like and and what did you like to do uh, those kinds of conversations that might not seem like much that's earning the you have earned the respect as, of those children as you talked about misty i i, I thought uh, here's another unspoken message that comes through in that it's you saying to the child i respect your journey in our relationship, what brought you here, the stuff you didn't ask for, the, how you're feeling confusion even now about me and my place and the family and loyalty conflicts between you don't want to hurt your mom's feelings if you are drawn to me. And so I'm respecting all of that in you, and I'm going to approach gently and softly, and we'll figure this thing out together. Yeah, and I think that they're really watching for cues about what is your position here? What What's your commitment level? Are you sticking around or is there going to be another 
unexpected major trauma. They wouldn't call it a trauma, but is my life going to fall apart again? Are these? It's scary to love someone if you're not sure they're going to stay. And if someone is coming in all about their rights, how is it possible for a little one to start to feel and experience love with that new person? That's so good. Another contrast. Unhealthy step-parent becomes a disciplinarian from the beginning. A healthy bonus parent says, I'm going to let the biological parent kind of take the primary role with the kids and work my way into being a disciplinarian. Yeah, let's talk around that for a little. How did you guys practically do that? Let the other maybe take the lead when it came to the hard things with their kids, and what did you do in the meantime? Well, you know, first of all, this area causes so much conflict between newly formed families, blended families, and it's something that is so uh, hurtful to the kids when it happens, but typically one is more lenient than the other, or one is much more smarter, wiser, consequence-based, things like that. And so to expect them to adjust sometimes to a new home, new person living in the home, and now this person is in charge of how I'm going to be disciplined, it's just too much for a child, and they're going to create a very rebellious Uh, situation, and they're not going to be supportive of coming together. So Misty was very smart and wise with her kids. She had put everything into them. What right did I have to come in and lay down the law or have the iron fist or something like that? So I set upon myself to observe what she was doing and how they responded. Because one of her boys, you could tell this one, as loud as possible, not to do something. And uh, he was probably figuring out how he could do it in a better way. Her <laughs> other son, you didn't even need to whisper. And he already had figured out that wasn't good. He wasn't going to do it anymore. So she had different ways of dealing with the uniqueness of her own son. So I needed to watch that. And whatever I thought was the way to discipline had nothing to do with the way they had been raised up to that point. And the the same thing with my daughter. Maybe I was a little too lenient on her. Maybe I was a little bit codependent, whatever. Maybe I, well, she didn't know that. Madeline didn't know that. And and so to come in and, and make some kind of abrupt change in the way I dealt with her because I was now married, boy, that would do nothing but make Misty look like uh, the hard person, the bad person. So we just stuck with what we had done and we observed what each was doing to get get a feel for that. And then it just became kind of a natural evolution. But boy, we, we have experimented in all the ways. And so, I mean, I have one in particular painful memory of me really stepping in with Madeline and when it, it wasn't time and it, it wasn't helpful and it created more division and I just had all this regret and I couldn't undo it. You know, I got irritated with her. I, you know, I said what I would say to my children, but that was not how Steve worked with her. So we definitely experimented and, and tried things and suffered the consequences of 
fumbling, you know, quite a bit. But I just think, you know, it's tricky, too, because, you know, as a mother, I was certainly a mother bear. I did, you know, when you're first married, like, let's say you're newlyweds and you're young and it's your first marriage and you haven't gone through all this, you get a little time, actually, to kind of bond and form your marriage and figure things out together. And you bring children into the family together. But in blended families, you're trying to figure out the marriage. Instantly. Everything. And and be parenting all at, all at the same yeah. time. And parenting other people's children. And, and I didn't know how Steve would parent my boys instantly. You know, I had watched because we dated for a long time, a year and nine months, you know, before we married. So I knew enough to make the commitments and to trust him. But boy, when you get married in a blended family situation, and now that the deal is sealed, you know, I think that our intensity, you know, rises, things get a lot more intense, fear is uh, heightened, and we've got to figure it out. And so I think it's, you know, maybe a potential for a lot more reactivity early on, which is what we experienced that first year. Well, I, I want to say this. We both, we weren't perfect in this, but just like with uh, Misty, you know, when, when she kind of moved in a little too uh, quickly or too hard there, she didn't continue on that path. She backed way up. And here was the thing, she could be more uh, stern, you could say, or more directive with her children with confidence because the other part of her was so nurturing. And, you know, she's the one that taught me the only way that you can put love into a child, it has to be downloaded eyeball to eyeball, only way it can be done. Well, Madeline had never had a female that held her, nurtured her. So uh, it was a little bit different, and I treated her a little bit differently. And we just made those adjustments. And sometimes, you know, I didn't understand what she was doing with her boys, but we clarified those things separate than in the presence. We didn't argue over that, and I was totally supportive of whatever uh, she did with them. And she was supportive of me. And what's so great is when she looks back on her relationship with Madeline, there's one incident where she says, I think I blew that one incident. Now, when Madeline went to graduate school and needed to do an internship, she didn't do that internship in California where she was. She found a place in Indiana to do the internship. She came and lived with us for 12 weeks. Now, uh, I'd say that's pretty good evidence uh, she loves Misty and we all love being together are the last place she would have ended up living with us doing her internship yeah. in her 20s. Misty? Yeah. Well, um, when we do make those regrettable mistakes, which we will inevitably, we do have the opportunity to make the amends and to go back. And I certainly did that. You know, once we get insights that maybe I could have done that differently, <laughs> you know, it's not just this performance and now it's over. It's, it's no, I mean, it's a relationship and and I want to own when I see that I've blown it. And so I just had to, and was very happy to go to her and try to try to make that amends. And she was very gracious about it too. And, and that's not always the case. And sometimes the amends is a long time. And I do think that there was a lasting impact for probably a good year 
of us just trying to trust and know each other and how, how we were going to relate. But she did see me come back and and really keep trying and reaching. And so I think that that was worth a lot. Too. Absolutely. That's great. Let's do another one. So unhealthy step parent makes obedience the primary priority. A healthy bonus parent makes connection primary. And Misty, I've heard you use say it this way, correction submits to connection. Let's talk around <laughs> that for a minute. She does say that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I love that. I love that. I love if you look at those words on paper. They're spelled the same except for the R's and the and the N's. And so I always just want to drop the R's down <laughs> and and aim for the N's, aim for the connection. Um, because really, when there is a connection that is somewhat secure and we're and we're moving toward more security in, in that relationship, correction is more welcome and sometimes even invited. Just like the phone call of Carter calling. Steve, now that, you know, he's in college and saying, hey, what do you think about this? Well, that's because there was a connection that was built. And when we try to correct without connection, my experience is that we get a lot of rebellion, a lot of anger, a lot of not feeling like anyone actually cares. Nobody really understands what I'm going through. How can you correct me? You don't know what's going on in my heart. You don't take the time to know me. I mean, that's the dialogue internally, I think, a lot of times. But when a child knows, hey, this person has invested, they've observed that that parent, that bonus parent shows up, you know, just in the, in the non-conflict times, they're interested in me and my life experience and who I am. If I start to believe they truly care about me, I might be more willing to hear what they have to say about my behavior and how I could do things better in life. Mm. Yeah, this one kind of plays in with another one I've heard you guys say is that bonus parents listen to know the child, whereas somebody who is, is pushing themselves on the child, they're talking to be known. It, it's a totally different focus and direction there. Oh, it really is. And kids are fascinating. And I, I say this, we love our children until 9 p.m. But, uh, <laughs> you, you know, kids are fascinating. And if you don't believe that, then don't become a step parent or a bonus parent. And when we listen because we want to know the heart of these kids, they feel that so much. And you don't listen to nail them or you don't force them to listen so they'll know where you're coming from and all that stuff. When you genuinely have a heart for those kids and you want to know their heart, they they just have that sixth sense, and it's going to come back to you. That investment of two ears listening uh, is going to come back to you, and it's going to be such a valuable foundation for when all of the tough things happen, when they're in there. 20s and they're faced with the conflicts and stuff and they don't know what to do and they're big big consequences if they make the wrong decision about spouse job future things like that so really ask yourself is it a pain for me to listen to these children that i'm about to get involved with and and if so you really ought to get some help for that or don't move forward if you're in the relationship and you don't like these kids you, again, go get some help with it. Find out 
why is that that you can't have compassion on children that have had everything that was secure uh, ripped out from under them why is that that you can't do that well and one more thing i just think that it's a really good skill to teach our children is how to listen and and you can almost tell if someone was raised in a family where listening was valued, you know, because generally we are either kind of talkers or listeners. And if we've been listened to, we know how to do it. We know, and it just comes more naturally. And, and uh, we used to really practice this when, when my children were all little and we still work on it, reflecting back what you hear, you know, and really trying to know and, and be known. And that's just a great skill in life. Absolutely. You know, one of the things I'm reflecting on is people that I've worked with in the past and kids who, let's just say perhaps through their first family and their single parent family, they weren't listened to very much at all. They're not used to people really being interested in them, really loving and caring for them. So some kids find it harder to let a bonus parent who is doing everything right, they just find it harder to to lean into that, to trust that, to be vulnerable to that. Yeah, like what's the motive? Right. Yeah. It's almost like they're doubting and questioning the motive. And the other part is they're just not used to being known in that way. And so it's it's foreign to them. And yet, what an incredible grace opportunity for you as a bonus parent, again, to bring to them their significance. Because you, at that point, are mirroring their significance back to them by taking great interest in them and listening. And it, it may take a while. I mean, it, it probably will take a while. And it's like, that's a hard thing to endure, to try, to try, to try, feel like you're hitting your head against the wall. But to just trust that eventually... That will, um, I don't want to say break them down, but you know what I mean. Like it will break through, soften. soften them, break through those barriers. And then you've gained a friend, a child, uh, a family member. The coolest thing, just to watch that transition happen of the melting down, the softening. And you know you've invested and invested and invested. And finally, it, it does break through. That's awesome. Well, there's one last thing that you guys point out about bonus parents, and we've already mentioned it, but maybe there's more to say, and that's they admit their mistakes and they make amends. And we talked about that a minute ago, whereas an unhealthy step-parent just says, no, I'm right. I'm an adult. Well, it's true. And because we have admitted mistakes to each other from the beginning, we were able, whenever we messed up, to go and try to make it right. And, you know, I was raised uh, in a family where I never heard my father say he was sorry for anything. He was a great man, but he couldn't do it. And so this was not something that was modeled for me. But what a great thing to go to a child and try to repair something that your tone was too much, your, your consequence was too severe, and you want to take it back a little bit. You've rethought it. It just gives a child such a security to know you're on the right track and you're checking yourself. And if you discover you're not on the right track, you're gonna self-correct and you're gonna come back. That provides such security versus the person thinking, well, if I ever admit I'm wrong, they'll never trust me again. Exact opposite impact. You've been listening to my conversation with Steve and Misty Arterburn. I'm Ron Deal. And this is Family Life Blended. 
We'll hear one last thought from the Art of Burns in just a few minutes. But do me a favor right now. Rate us and write us a review. It encourages our team, but more importantly, it helps others find our podcast. Remember that thought? Your marriage can be on mission. All you got to do is share this podcast with a friend or family member, and that really makes a difference. When you write a review or give us a rating, that helps other people find the podcast as well. For example, one person wrote this, Without question, this is absolutely my favorite and the most helpful podcast ever. Wow, (laughs) that was a nice compliment. They said more, I've listened and re-listened to certain episodes hanging on every word as they are so relatable and candid. Well, I'm glad you think so, and we think others will as well. If you like this podcast, we have dozens of episodes available on a variety of topics. For example, episode 18 on The Blessing with John Trent and his daughter, Carrie Trent Stageberg. Or episode number nine, my conversation about step parenting with author Gayla Grace. Or episode number 14, In Their Shoes with Lauren Reitzema. That's our conversation about what it's like to be a kid having a step parent. We've got a variety of topics covered in a variety of podcasts. We hope that you'll browse and take a look at all of them. You know, the Art of Burns and I spent a good bit of time talking about healthy and unhealthy step parents. I just want to balance that by reminding biological parents that you play a big role in a step parent's success or failure. I believe in this so much. I put two chapters for biological parents in each of my books for stepmoms and stepdads. The Smart Stepmom has two chapters for the biological dad. The Smart Stepdad has two chapters for biological moms. Now, why did I do that? Well, because you can really help or really hurt the step-parent's ability to lead and have a relationship with the kids. If they're going to be a good bonus parent, you've got to be a good biological parent. Parenting is always a team sport, so make sure you are talking through your team strategy and game plan. Otherwise, you just might suffer a little defeat. If you're not familiar with Family Life Blended, we are the leading resource ministry for step families around the world. We have the largest collection of articles and videos and resources for blended families, including my Smart Step Family series of books and curriculum. It's all available at familylife.com blended. One of those books, a 365-day devotional, includes some devotionals inspired by the Artiburns. Learn more about daily encouragement for the smart step family at familylife.com slash blended. Let me remind you again about our Summit on Step Family Ministry coming up soon, October 1 and 2, 2020. You can learn all about this ministry equipping event at summitonstepfamilies.com. If you'd like more information about my guests today, you'll find it in the show notes, or you can just check it out on the Family Life Blended podcast page at familylife.com slash podcasts. And while you're there, check out everything else Family Life has to offer you for marriage and family topics. We're an international organization providing practical marriage and family help for your life and those you care about. Again, familylife.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Just search Family Life Blended with Ron Deal. And now you can listen on YouTube. Just go to youtube.com slash Family Life Blended. And hey... 
Do us a favor. Share this with someone. We all need a little encouragement. Most people are just like you and me. They have questions about life and they need some community. So think of a couple of friends or family members that you could share this podcast with. Or maybe post something on social media. You can make an impact on someone else's life. Now, before we're done, a final word from Steve and Misty Arterburn. One of my favorite topics to think about is humility and our posture before God and how humility softens other people in relationships. And Misty, you you call this humbling down. She does. And she does it too. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's amazing. And it is it is powerful in, in the sense is it keeps our hearts in the right place. And it does soften when we inadvertently cause conflict or a difficulty and, and a wall goes up. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, mm-hmm. it does help repair that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, humbling down. It's like, oh, I forgot. I I'm not God. I don't, you know. I, oh yeah, humble down. You know, I don't have to. I don't have to know everything. I just need to seek, right? And and that's a position of humility. If I'm seeking and I'm trying to find some answers and I'm reaching out, and I'm asking God to provide resources and and whatever my next step is. That's a much better and safer position with God in the throne because we want to get on that throne and figure it out and, and force solutions, but that is never my rightful place. I'm trying to be the listener just with God. You know? And so I think that as we have that personal practice, that's what spills over. We practice it with our, our spouse and we practice it with our children and, and all of our peers and And then things take a better shape and things unfold a little more naturally and the answers come. Next time, we're going to hear from my good friends Gil and Brenda Stewart about finding help and encouragement and sometimes counseling for your family when you need it. Because of what they're learning, they actually then start acting differently. They start talking differently. They start regulating their emotions differently. And then all of a sudden, I have the husband sitting in my office (laughs) because it's like, what did you do to my wife? And I was like, well, she had a safe place to talk. Would you like to learn how to do that? That's Gil and Brenda Stewart on Finding the Help You Need next time on Family Life Blended. I'm Ron Deal. Thanks for listening. And thanks to our Family Life Legacy partners for making this podcast possible. To help us produce this podcast and other resources, make a tax-deductible donation specifically for Family Life Blended by going to familylife.com slash blended. Or you can call us at 1-800-FL-TODAY and tell them your gift is for Family Life Blended. If you become a monthly partner, we'll send you a gift card to our Weekend to Remember Marriage Conference held throughout the United States and Canada. Our chief audio engineer is Keith Lynch, Bruce Goff, producer, Our mastering engineer is Justin Adams, and theme music provided by Braden Deal. Family Life Blended is produced by Family Life and is part of the Family Life Podcast Network.